Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 29th blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that steals the throne while you're still making draft notes. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here for show 29. Looking forward to another valuable uh, and insightful episode. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, break down our uh, juicy, juicy tidbits for people this week. James, this week we have four segments. Our first segment is our top movers. We'll look at the cards that have seen the largest growth in the last week, and I'm giving you guys a heads up now. You're going to notice a theme. Segment two is our cards to watch. These are the cards James and I have our eyes on as potential uh, potential appearances in segment one down the road. Segment three is our metagame we can review. We've got quite quite a few uh, tournaments to check in on this week. We'll be looking at standard both in GP in GP Portland and GP Rimini and Star City the Star City event in Syracuse, as well as a modern event over uh, in Star City Syracuse as well. And finally, segment four, topic of the week, we'll be discussing the spoilers for Conspiracy Two. So we'll jump right in here at the start of segment one, our top movers. James, why don't you give us the first card to show up this week? Well, as you said, Travis, we are seeing a very consistent theme in the cards that uh, have spiked this week, and um, in large uh, part, they are related to one of your picks from last week. Um, so we'll start with Bloodgast, a vampire out of Zendikar that pops back out of the graveyard every time you play a land. Uh, started the weekend in around $20, ended closer to 30 for about a 40% gain, and this is on the back of the Dredge deck that is making serious waves in Modern with the addition of a couple of new cards. Yeah, not uh, not too surprising to see this. It's not a huge gain, but then again, the card was already expensive to begin with. Um, so, and you know, it fits right in with with everything else in this deck. Um, the the second card on our list this week is Golgari Grave Troll, which I, I mentioned last week. And frankly, uh, you can still find copies of this out there. Um, well, okay, let me get back to the to the topic at hand first. So Gargrave Troll, we're looking at the foils from Ravnica specifically. They started the week in the $40 range, uh, and it looks like they're around $75 today uh, for about a double up in that ballpark. Um, although now that I'm looking at TCG Player, uh, there are none, no mint copies on TCG Player for Ravnica foils. So um, who knows what this will be at when it gets relisted. Um the non-foils did move within the last week, although not enough to see them pop up on our list here. I am still seeing, I'm seeing Ravnica copies in the $15 range. Uh, they think they were 10 when I talked about it last week. Uh, there are still some of the dual deck copies in the $10 range, but I think there's only barely a playset maybe. So, uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to get, if we're going to see this card on our list next week either, but um, copies are disappearing quite quickly and the price on this is going to be uh, quite a bit north of where it was just two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, Grave Troll is constantly a four of in the Dredge decks. It's a four of in the Legacy version of the deck. Um, you know, it's only seen the one reprinting in uh, the dual deck uh, a while back, Is It versus Golgari. 
and there weren't any foils. So it's it, there's only one original foil printing, and uh, you know the market will set the price somewhere in the sixty to eighty dollar range is my guess moving forward. So next on our list we have Bridge from Below, also a big part of the Dredge decks, uh, both Future Sight and uh, Modern Masters versions moving from about $10 to $20 for 100% plus gain. Um, again, uh, constantly uh, a four of inclusion, the heart and soul of the deck, um, and a card that I'm not surprised to see um, gaining some momentum given uh, the spotlight that's been on the deck recently. Yeah, Bridge from Below is a stalwart in these types of strategies. It's been ex it was quite expensive in the past too until like with the Modern Masters reprint kind of crushed it, but uh, it has definitely recovered pretty handily since then. Next on our list is Conflagrate. Uh, this was our top gainer last week, although last week we were looking at the foil specifically. This time it is the non-foil. Um, you know, it came in the week around $3. I'm not seeing any copies below six on TCG player right now. Uh, so we're seeing about a, a good 100% gain, possibly more. Uh, you know, I said it before, Mishra's Bobble is a $20 card. If Conflagrate is a guaranteed four of, and apparently the best card in the deck from what I've heard from people that have been playing it. Uh, I would not be surprised if this is a $8 to $12 uncommon from Time Spiral. Um, so, you know, just kind of prepare yourself for that reality. If you want to play the deck, I wouldn't hesitate to pay the five or six bucks if you wanted copies. Um, you know, you stand to get out ahead of this becoming double digits, and it's not going to sink much lower than three or four dollars at this point, not with Dredge being as good as it is. Um, and dig, th dig through your bulk, I guess. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Bulk is where it's at. I mean, this is where the bulk guys really... Um, you know, come into their own yeah. is when a card, a card like this that they've been, they've got, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 copies of lying around suddenly oh, becomes, becomes it reminds me, I should go find my, that time spiral box. I have someplace. I wonder if there's any of these in there. Yeah. Believe it or not, I pulled three or four of these out of the, uh, uh, super collection, bulk, quote unquote bulk, the leftover binders. Um, you know, a card that nobody <laughs> expected to go anywhere. If you've never played with Conflagrate in this in this strategy, folks, it's basically a red double X spell that deals X damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or players. But it's got a flashback cost for two red discard X cards. And this deck wants to be discarding things like Prized Elgum back into the graveyard all the time or Golgari Drave, Grave Troll to set up these kind of insane draw sixes, draw threes, draw fives that go on. Um, as the game progresses. And so it's, a, it's a, a good strategy for them to kind of either put in the last few points of damage or clear the way for a big attack. Um, it's a very flexible damage-dealing spell to help complement the rest of the engine. Yeah, and I've even... Not only is it a way to really kickstart the engine... Uh, apparently it's not uncommon to just conflict, you know, like grind life from the loam for two or three turns to fill your hand and then uh, loam one more turn and then conflagrate for like nine by just pitching your entire hand on one turn. So um, it kind of it serves two roles in the deck, both as an enabler and a, a pretty powerful finisher. Yeah, I mean, the, that's a great place to be. And it's the kind of card that's old enough now, you know, more than 10 years that uh, there's tons of copies sitting around in, in loose binders and, and you know, uh, under beds and in closets. But it's got that attrition uh, thing going on that happens over a long period of time where most of the copies that were printed fall out of circulation and as soon as the you know the 100 or 200 copies that are available online dries up because 50 or 60 players take a shine to the new deck that they saw on camera um you know that's where a spike comes from yeah 
Yep. Okay. Uh, next up on our list is Alurin from Tempest. It's on the reserve list. Started the week at around $15. It is now uh, $45. Uh, but really, though, I'm seeing copies at $30. So still a solid, uh, still a solid double up. Um, this is in response to the printing of Imperial Recruiter in Conspiracy 2. Uh, wait, Imper- is it Imperial Recruiter? Well, wait, I thought well, the old it's re- one was Imperial Recruiter. Yeah, the old one's Imperial Recruiter. Recruiter the of the Guard. Is- yeah, Recruiter of the Guard is basically Imperial Recruiter, because, except that it searches uh, based on toughness instead of power, um, which is relevant in the Painter's Servant decks, um, because it can't get Servant, um, but certainly is going to find a, a home somewhere, um, for sure, because that kind of tutoring effect is not to be underestimated. Yeah, and I mean, if you've been doing this for a while, Allure has always been sort of this funny card, because... Uh, it has spiked and then dropped, I think, three times prior to this. People have tried over and over to to, uh, to really buy out this card and force the price and have been unsuccessful. But, uh, I mean, th- this card may actually do it because now it's just not somebody, it's not an artificial move. It's, oh, this deck gets a lot more ammo. Now, is a deck any good at all? Is it good enough to keep Allure in, in reasonable play in Legacy? Uh, I don't know. We don't know that yet. But that's that's what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, we've got 12 or 14 copies now available on TCG around $30. So uh, definitely still going to hold some of that momentum, but I suspect it's going to fall back again because there's just, you know, not that much natural demand. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a, a lot of combo potential with that new card. Yeah. Uh, so what do you got next for us? So next is uh, yet another dredge card, Greater Gargadon um, from Time Spiral Block, uh, as well as MMA, um, moving from $4 or $5 to about $15 for about a 300% gain. Um, That's big motion on a card that's been called by various MTG Finance pundits at various points in its existence um, as something that, you know, has kind of open-ended combo potential and is is good in in dredge decks and decks that are interested in sacrificing permanence. And uh, I'm not surprised to see it make a move finally. Um, I'm not actually holding very many of these. Um, I've only got a couple, maybe maybe one playset, so I'm missing out on this action. Um, But I did do good on... Uh, a lot of the other dredge pieces, because I happen to have a, a collection of interesting deck shells, and it includes a, a fully-fledged legacy dredge deck. What's interesting to me about Greater Gargadon is this price seems relatively sticky. I listed a set for $60, and it sold. Um, you know, TCG player has dropped from there at this point. It looks like you can finish a set for a little, uh, about $12 a copy. So not quite that strong, but you know, the demand for this deck uh, appears to be very real, and the price is strong. And Greater Garganon is a great example of why I tend not to move my bulk rares unless I have a very good reason to. Um, you know, I have this box of about six or 7,000 rares that I just kind of keep handy, and every time something like this happens, I get to go back and dig out a playset or two. Um, and, you know, suddenly it's just, it's just like finding free money and you just dump all your bulk rares into it uh, that you pick up from either flipping collections um, or, uh, you know, that fall out of standard or whatever. So uh, a greater Gargadon is a lesson there that bulk rares are always worth bulk. So don't sell them unless you need to. Yeah, um, there's some there's some nice movement here on cards that have been settled for a long time. Um, so finally on our list, we have Collective Defiance, kind of the big standard mover of the week uh, out of Eldritch Moon. This is the red uh, modal spell that moved from $1.50 to over $6 for a 300% plus gain. And this is on the back of the Is It Machine Gun deck, um, which is um, uh, raising some eyebrows in standard as uh, a, a fairly interesting uh, new archetype that kind of came out of nowhere. 
Yeah, you know, this it popped up at the Pro Tour. There was like one or two lists floating around in the top performing decks, and I don't think a lot of people latched onto it. Um, but then it it really did well this past weekend. I saw someone tweet about the uh, he saw a foil copy sell for $15 on the floor. Um, and I think the foils have actually moved to close to that price point uh, by now, actually. So uh, I, I don't think that this is a, a sustainable price. So I'm selling any copies I have. Um, but that seems to be where it came from. Just kind of came out of the blue. You know, we, it was at the Pro Tour and, and nobody paid attention. And now suddenly the card's $7. Yeah, it's actually, it's interesting because I've missed out on this one completely. I was just too slow on the draw. Um, but I started picking up foil copies of Collective Brutality this week um, because a couple of the players that were on Dredge were using it as uh, a way to just completely blow out some of the aggro opponents. Um, I saw one of the on-camera matches included, uh, you know, a tapped-out Zoo player with a Swift Spear on the table, um, like a, a Burn Zoo player. Um, lose their Swift Spear to Collective Brutality, um, a four-point life swing, and uh, lose a burn spell out of their hand, like a Rift Bolt or something, um, just from Collective Brutality knocking three cards into the graveyard, which is what that deck wants to do anyway. Ooh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, it was ugly. That was pretty good. All right, let's hop down the segment to our cards to watch. Uh, James, you've got one more this week, so why don't you start? Sure. So the first one I've got my eye on um, this week is Selfless Spirit, fo uh, foils in particular. Um, I know that this card is already uh, overpriced and standard. The question is now whether this card can make a home consistently in a major deck in modern. Um, I've got a confidence level of about seven on it that it will. I'm seeing, starting to see it show up as a four of being tested in like two, three, four different lists that are in completely different archetypes, completely different color schemes in modern. And it leads me to believe that a 2-1 flyer that can be sacrificed to, to lend indestructibility for the turn might just be an interesting interesting enough utility piece to get some long-term play. The foils are available at 8. I'd be a lot more excited about them if they were 5 or 6. But even still, I think that the, these are foils that have a chance to hit 10 or 15 if uh, it really puts up a major performance in modern as a 4-of. Um, the deck in particular that I'm thinking of was uh, one that uh, Haruya uh, posted this week. It was a white-black aggro deck that was using uh, Eldrazi Displacer, Flicker Wisp, Four Selfless Spirit, Shriek Maw, Thalia Garden of Thraben, uh, Thought Not Seer, Tide Hollow Scholar, and Wasteland Strangler, alongside uh, just eight spells, four Path to Exile and four Ether Vial. Um, and that's exactly the kind of black-white kind of aggro control deck I've been, I've been fooling around with all year, and I really like the way that this build looks. Selfless Spirit reminds me a lot of Spellskite, actually. Spellskite, uh, obviously being colorless, is extremely useful and and cutting off some combos, but they're similar in the fact that they're an onboard trick for a relatively low cost that gives you some additional value. Uh, Spellskite let you block pretty profitably, and uh, Selfless Spirit will still attack people for two. Um, and it's this sort of like really obvious onboard trick. Uh, and even if it's an onboard trick that your opponent can see and is, is not unaware of, they still have to deal with it, right? Like even if you're playing infect and you know, your opponent's going to have spell skite, bring in spell skite against you, like, you know, that you have to deal with it, but it doesn't make it that much easier to deal with. So selfless spirit is like saying, yeah, you get to know that I can make my creatures indestructible. Good job. You have that information. You still have to deal with it. So these, uh, these really powerful, like no cost onboard tricks, I think are, are better than at least I have found myself wanting to uh, think that they are. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not there yet for modern, 
But the fact that it's being tested in so many quarters um, is the is the kind of thing that gives me pause. It's the kind of thing that got me onto collected company foils early, um, that has me thinking about Eldridge Evolution. And you know, there's there's no guarantee it gets there, um, but it's definitely a card I'm looking for. And if I see any weakness in those foil prices as it kind of fades, you know, for a couple of weeks in standard or something, and I can get in at five or six, then I'll I'll pull the trigger on a few sets. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Can't fault you there. Uh, okay, so my first card for the week is uh, Rest in Peace from Return the Ravnica. I've got this on like a short to mid time frame. Uh, I'm like a seven to eight on this guy. I'm, I'm pretty confident in Rest in Peace. Price is only about $4 right now. Uh, it's relatively cheap, a little maybe a little over that. Um, Rest in Peace is an extremely powerful graveyard hoser. Uh, I, I would say, all things considered, it is probably the strongest card in terms of the amount of impact it has on the game. Um, you know, it comes down very early uh, and also continues to work or it will, will catch you right back up if you play it a little later on like a card like Leyline of the Void. There's sort of been this piece of uh, advice floating out there that says don't buy sideboard cards, um, which, you know, made a lot of sense when we heard it and I ascribed to it as well. But uh, Sony Silence is like a 10 or $12 card. Raftigger's Cage is a $10 to $11 card. Uh, Leyline of the Void is like a $10 card. And Rest in Peace is $4. Um, it's just an extremely powerful graveyard hoser. We're seeing dredge all over the place right now uh, between uh, with, with the introduction of Insolent Neonate. And I think that's just the beginning of dredge strategies. Uh, you know, there's a lot you can do with that. I, I, I kind of find myself wondering if there's a sudden reclamation deck that's actually better than the creature based version we've seen so far. Um, but, but graveyard strategies, they're always popular and they're always powerful and rest in peace is always going to be good at hosing them. And it's already in the best sideboard color in modern. Uh, so, you know, at four bucks, I, I don't really see a downside here. Um, you know, as long as you dodge reprints, which I don't think we're facing down anytime soon, uh, this seems like a pretty easy double up. Yeah, so I like the card. Um, it's well positioned in the meta right now. It has the potential for gains for sure. I'm not thrilled with how many copies I'm seeing online. There might be 200 total across TCG and the various vendors, eBay, etc. Um, all pretty tightly clustered around the $4 mark. Um, we really need to see um, demand pick up uh, to carry this forward because I don't think the, the speculators are going to get it there. The It, it reminds me a lot... Um, of things like Stony Silence that have you know uh, that have taken a long time to make a move and then not made another major move after. Um, I've been sitting on some Stony Silences that I picked up at ten. You know when during Eldrazi Winter Affinity was kind of the only deck that could reliably beat the Eldrazi, and I you know grabbed some Stony Silences that are still you know a dollar or two um, uh, over what I bought them for. So one of the things with Rest in Peace is I'm wondering whether it actually is eligible uh, for reprint in Modern Masters uh, 2017. Travis, you were saying that um, that you thought that return, the re return to Ravnica block was not going to be included? Well, that would fit the, th the pattern that they've gone with so far. They gave us the first Modern Masters, and they picked a cutoff date, and we lived with it. And then Modern Masters uh, 20... 
uh, 15 moved two years beyond that. Uh, so we, we, we moved two years chronologically and then they added two more years worth of sets to the modern masters printing. Um, and now we're moving two more years chronologically in the future with modern masters 2017. Uh, so uh, everyone's expectation is that this will bring us up through Innistrad, um, Innistrad block, but no further. So I would not expect to see, um, any scars of Mirrodin block cards or red turn the Ravnica or anything after that It'd be Innistrad. And, uh, was it shards of Alara? right was prior to Innistrad so um those are the two new blocks I would expect to see added to the modern masters universe sure so I mean that that sounds like a reasonably uh a reasonable position then um and makes me feel a little bit better about the spec although the the number of kind of random reprints in conspiracy 2 um has me thinking that all bets are off on in terms of when things are getting reprinted well you know wizards loves to seem to set up guidelines and then change them just as soon as we start to uh, adjust for them and, and begin to recognize them. So I can't make any promises. Um, and, you know, as for the quantity on TCG player, you're absolutely correct. There are boatloads of them out there and that is definitely kind of a red flag, but there were boatloads of copy of Stony Silence too, you know, when that was a dollar. So I, I guess, I guess that is, that is a flag, but to me, it's not the only thing that, you know, it's, it's not a hard stop for me. Well, I mean, one sign of indefinite interest is the fact that there's hardly there's there's only two near mint foils listed at all, um, eighteen dollars a piece. Clear those out, and you know there's nothing left. So um, certainly, people have been thinking about the card heading out of the big dredge weekend. Um, we'll see where it goes. Yep. Okay. Uh, what you got for us? So next on my list is another card out of that black white deck, and it's a card that people continue to discount as a modern card, but I keep seeing it show up in various black white lists. And this is Wasteland Strangler. Shows up in Eldrazi lists here and there. Shows up in black white control lists here and there. Um, you know, people that didn't play, I, I, I guess this is folks that didn't play with Flame Tongue Cavu and don't understand the value of kind of a mid range two for one, especially one that only costs three. Um, in a deck that can, can consistently rely on there being creatures in the opponent's exile zone, um, Wasteland Strangler is a very powerful uh, a card. Um, terrible against decks like Tron, excellent against decks like Zoo. Um, and the foils are currently available uh, at $2.50. I'm happy to pick up a few uh, sets of that in the hopes that one day those are $10 foils. Um, I've played with the card enough in modern to, to feel like someone will eventually find a shell where it sticks. And when it, when it's there, it's usually a three or a four of, and that's exactly what I'm looking for, for, you know, something that can be a gainer long-term. I really like Wasteland Strangler, and I saw the similarities between that and Flametongue Kabu, as I'm sure a lot of people did as soon as it was spoiled. I've mostly stayed away because it was in battle for Zendikar, but the foils might be uh, quite a bit safer, um, just by, by nature of there being so many fewer. Um, and, you know, Flametongue Kabu, if that were legal and modern, that would be, that would 100% be played. Uh, so this doing a very good impression of that, um, certainly makes it look, look tempting and you figure there are printing new exile effects every set. So, you know, maybe they print something that really enables this in the Eldrazi list somehow that kind of pushes it into overdrive, you know, you know, you're never sure you need, it's hard to guess what that card would be, but I could definitely see it happening. Yeah. It's like you need, you need a, a discard effect that puts cards in exile or something. All right. Tell me about your last pick. Sure. My last pick for the week is Council's Judgment out of Conspiracy. I'm at like a six to seven on this, and I've got it amid the long time frame, so um, I'm not expecting to see anything change in the next week or two. Uh, it's hanging around $5 right now, and I think we could we could probably see this at 10 without too much struggle. We are, uh, we are a good ways away from the original Conspiracy printing now. Um, I think it's been two full years now. 
council's judgment is basically the only voting card that we see show up in legacy in any meaningful uh, amount. Um, and it's very good there. It's one of the only cards that can answer true name nemesis, which is an extremely powerful card in legacy. Um, and the reason this is on my radar is that they printed this uh, on common, or I don't even think it's on common. I think it's a common in Conspiracy 2. And it's called Illusion of Choice. And it is an uncommon Illusion of Choice. It's a one blue mana instant that says, you choose how each player votes this turn, draw a card. So uh, in the worst case scenario, this is one blue mana instant for draw a card. So one mana cycle. I mean, that's that's not bad at all if your deck is not struggling to, fit all si- to find room for all 60 cards you want to play. The fact that you get to choose how everybody votes means you can fire this off into a council's judgment. And then when you cast council's judgment, you get to vote for both players, which means you get to choose, you get to exile two things instead of one. Um, So it turns it into a two for one uh, for four mana. Now it's not like, I mean, this isn't tremendous, you know, legacy has its fair share of of two for ones or three for ones or what have you, but council's judgment's already a powerful card. It always already has a very powerful, unique effect and that it gets around absolutely everything. And illusion of choice is an extremely low opportunity cost to double the efficacy of the card. Um, so with how old it is, uh, with it being relatively useful in um, legacy as it is, uh, with the fact that there are going to be people that are going to want to make voting decks in EDH with the new slew of, uh, of voting cards and Council's Judgment being a go-to card for, for that format, uh, in those types of decks, I think that the recipe is there, uh, the ingredients are there for Council's Judgment to see a nice little, a nice little double up. Yeah, I think agree. I agree here that this is likely to be a mid to long term play, and there's a few hundred copies available. Um, and they're in the kind of the four to six dollar range. Um, a lot of that demand is onesie twosie demand from cube players, legacy players, etc., who are smaller niches in the in the overall Magic marketplace. And there's also the fact that um, this has a massive foil multiplier of like ten times. I think the cheapest foil on TCG is yeah, it's just about forty dollars. Um, on a four four dollar card, I mean that's just crazy, um, and also reflective of you know where that demand's coming from. When, when you see a foil multiplier like that, it's kind of a it means that it's an auto include cube foil, um, and that the legacy players are foiling out their decks, but that the non foil copies don't have a lot of natural demand. So moving on to my last pick of the week, uh, the other uh, Eldrazi foil that I've got my eye on, and with a confidence level of eight this time, is Thought Not Seer foils out of Oath of the Gatewatch. Um, Thought Not Seer constantly shows up in modern and legacy versions of Eldrazi. Um, lots of people have been hands off on these cards after Eldrazi Winter, when um, you know the really fantastic broken version of the Eldrazi deck was banned in modern. Um, but we have not seen the end of Thought Not Seer. There aren't that many foil copies around. And, you know, current price tag is around 15 or $16. Um, if you can trade into it or, or purchase it a little lower than that, um, I, I think that this is a future $30 foil. Um, what do you think, Travis? Uh, I mean, I've already picked up my play set and then an extra copy or two. I really like Thought Not Seer in the long term. This card is ridiculous. Uh, so this seems like a very natural uh, movement for this card. I'm, I'm behind it 100%. Cool. So that takes us to the end of our second segment, and we're moving on to segment three, the metagame week in review. Um, tons of action this past weekend, Travis. Yeah, there really was. Uh, I was over at Star City, 
uh, Star City Syracuse, I was playing in the modern event and uh, it was won by Dredge and I didn't see any Dredge all day. So uh, Dredge did well and I did not. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a lot of standard and a little bit of modern. I will just, we'll just tip, tip, uh, hit on the modern really quick because there's so much more standard. Um, again, won by Dredge. Uh, so that's where you're, you know, they won the modern classic the week prior, I think. Uh, so that's why you're really seeing those Dredge singles spike uh, this week. And I will be curious to see if it can pull it off again this coming weekend uh, at whatever event is out there. But uh, I would expect everyone to show up packing Dredge hate. Um, the other list that really surprised me was a Green Red Breach made it into second place, uh, playing four Primeval Titan uh, and four Through the Breach. Uh, so, you know, kind of curious to see that, you know, we haven't heard nothing of that deck and then suddenly it takes second at a, at a fairly large event. So, um, and that, that was interesting. Uh, did you have any other things in modern that kind of jumped out at you? Well, uh, it didn't make our list this week cause the, the jump, uh, has been over the course, uh, of several weeks, but foil anger, the gods has quietly made it from about $5 to $15. Um, very few copies left on TCG player. Um, happy to see one of my few Theros specs uh, finally doing well. Um, the green-red breach deck that finished second was running two copies main, um, and you know being able to exile creatures uh, like Prized Amalgam against the dredge deck is going to be an increasingly important uh, aspect of the metagame that leaves uh, the foil anger of the gods copies uh, well positioned. And I think that you know it it doesn't won't take very many more copies to dry up before this will be a twenty dollar foil. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I also agree that this is uh, this has been sneaking up for a little while now. Uh, didn't we talk about it at some point? I I think it might have been on our list uh, earlier this spring. Um, also notable in the in the top eight of that tournament, three copies of Jund. Um, surprised to still not see much uh, motion on Tarmogoyf or Dark Confidant, given that Jund seems well positioned to the metagame um, and seems uh, to have clawed its back its way back into contention as a tier one deck in the format. Sure. I, you know, we've seen that crashing for so long. I wonder if Tarmogoyf is going to turn around at some point. Uh, part, part of that has to depend on whether we get a reprint of both of those cards yet again in Modern Masters 13, right? I mean, 20, uh, Modern Masters 3, uh, 2017, next summer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we're going to see Dark Confidant again, but Tarmogoyf is almost definitely going to be in there. Um, uh, it, it's, it's tough, though, because if they're going to put Lily in at $100, I'm not sure they can also put Tarmogoyf in. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, you might have Snapcaster show up too. So like Liliana, Snapcaster, and Tarmogoyf, that is a lot of value, but that's not that much different than Tarmogoyf, Dark Confidant, Vendillion Click. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. My, my guess is we're getting Lily, but not Goyf. Um, and I don't know how I feel about Confidant. So break down how the SCG standard open or standard classic went. Um, that's uh, first place was, is it Machine Gun, right? Yeah, yeah. Is it Machine Gun won the Star City standard and the classic in Syracuse, and it also was the only other archetype to show up in the top eight than Bant Collective Company over in uh, Rimini. Yeah, and so for people who haven't seen this deck, uh, it's running four copies of Thermo Alchemist. This is a 0-3 defender, so basically a wall for one and a red, and you can only tap it to deal one damage to each opponent. So interesting here that the foils may have long-term implications in in Commander, um, despite the fact that they're commons. Um, but whenever you cast an instant or a sorcery spell, untap Thermo Alchemist. And so what this deck does is cast a whole bunch of spells on the same turn um, using discard, uh, uh, madness cards and discard effects um, and, and draw effects so that it can 
uh, basically machine gun the opponent with the Thermo Alchemist. Notable that it's also running three copies of Thing in the Ice. We've got two late in the game Jace Vince Prodigy, um, the powerhouse that never goes away. Um, this deck runs four copies of Fevered Visions, which is a foil I called when it was uh, first released um, for Shadows Over Innistrad as something you're probably going to want to have lying around in the future. Um, these kind of decks uh, tend to... Uh, be very popular in casual circles, and uh, Fevered Visions, when it's played, is almost always played as a four of. Uh, so I, I still like those foils. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I think that the the major thread here across all three events that um, isn't really interesting or exciting, but is hard to ignore, is that Bant Collective Company is still ridiculous and even if after uh pro tour eldritch moon we were all kind of hoping it would not be what it is uh it still absolutely is what it is it was half the star city classic top eight it was uh six out of the top eight lists at gp rimini uh i think three of the top eight lists in portland i mean it was just everywhere yeah, and it underlines that the Pro Tour metagames are unique animals that are not reflective of what the rest of us are going to face at GPs and in local tournaments. The the Pro Tour tend the the pros heading into Pro Tours, uh, the good teams tend to shy away from the expected deck. They want to they want to come up with a new deck that beats the expected deck, um, and really capitalize um, on the weakness of the people that don't have strong teams. Um, that's a very different scenario than you find yourself in at your local metagame where somebody who already built Bant Company and knows that the deck is strong almost regardless of what they face and, and that if they know the deck well, they can capitalize on the errors uh, from the players like me that play something new every week. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're going to keep driving that home because it's going to keep taking them to top tables. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we would be remiss if we did not mention the Cat Pact deck that showed up over in Grand Prix Portland. This was the uh, Demonic Pact deck that used um, Harmless Offering, which is where the, the cat comes from, the, the cat in the art, to donate the Demonic Pact to your opponent. So you play Demonic Packs, you draw tons of cards, you kill things, eventually you hopefully draw a Demonic Pact or a uh, harmless offering and give the demonic pact to your opponent before the last trigger kills you. And they lose the game if they don't have a way to respond to it, um, which they probably won't if you've been making them discard with the pact. Uh, very interesting deck. People really like it. Um, the story on this deck to me seems to be that uh, demonic pact has, has shown up several times in top eight lists uh, in various places over the last couple weeks, uh, but the price has not really moved much at all. And I will be surprised if it really does anything before it leaves standard, which um, is really showing these these timelines, these, these shortened timelines of standard coming to roost because demonic pact uh, might have done a lot better in another universe. But uh, at this point, it's just so late that I don't think it's price can climb out of a hole. It kind of reminds me of Eidolana Blossoms, in fact. Yeah, I mean, in a 24-month cycle, I think this was would have hit a spike right about now. Um, now I've got my eye on the card as, you know, whatever it drops to um, between a dollar and $2 after it rotates, that's where I'm going to get in for 20 copies for the long haul because it's a fun card for casual and it just needs a few years to recover. Um, one of the interesting pieces of tech in this deck was that they were running four Oath of Chandra and three Oath of Jace as ways of um, deflecting Dromoka's command um, uh, out of the Coco, Bant Coco decks, um, which would normally um, put you off a pack deck entirely because it was just so easy for them to get rid of it. Um, but when you have all of these o uh, Planeswalker Oaths in play, um, you just sack one of the uh, the 
uh, legendary enchantments and it gives you a chance to play another one out of your hand and because the chandra oath kills a creature and the jace oath digs you closer to your combo pieces like dark petition or harmless offering um, or demonic pact um, or gets gets you some of the cards that you need to get rid of the pact like silumgar's command or dis or disperse um you know th there was a lot of very clever tech here it is it's a really cool deck and uh if i was playing standard i would probably be playing that that deck i think just because it's funny and cool so moving on to segment four our topic of the week this week we are diving in on the early conspiracy two spoilers um travis would you say that this has been a much more exciting first week for conspiracy spoilers than you were expecting oh it's fantastic we started off this week i was like i don't care there's nothing here that i really care about seeing it's not really gonna have much of an impact on me uh and i have been consistently impressed every day with the cards that we're seeing roll out and i don't know how many of them i'm gonna get to play with um but the draft format does look more interesting to me than it did the first time around it, it has a lot of cards in here for modern players it has cards in here for legacy players uh so i think that this is a much more robust set than the first conspiracy and and so many um necessary reprints um that threaten the price of cards that people may have been stockpiling um you know li list off all the cards that are relevant in that regard oh man i mean <laughs> uh how long do you have <laughs> like half the cards that have been revealed are are reprints and a lot of them are relevant so the big ones so far serum visions and inquisition of kozilek i think um inquisition got a lot of chatter on twitter this peak week as people argued about the the rare shifting uh, I got to tell you, I don't think the rarity shifting matters whatsoever because they upped it from uncommon to rare. But um, I mean, if you look at cards from the first conspiracy printing that were printed at rare, it just crushed their price. Even Heritage Druid, um, you know, is a great example of this. Jason All was talking about it this weekend in his article. Uh, I would not worry the Inquisition of Kozilek isn't going to be cheap enough, especially when the set has so much uh, in it to begin with. Then there's stuff like Serum Visions. You've got Burgeoning. You've got um you know a bunch of other smaller cards hallowed burial and desertion burning wish i mean the list goes on and on for players looking for for valuable reprints it is here in spades yeah i mean and and also included phyrexian arena alongside yeah. uh, alongside inquisition of kozilek um and the note the notable point here for the mtg finance crowd is you know the gloves are off on on uh cards that are do not fit thematically in the sets um, at least for these supplemental sets, they seem more than willing. I mean, Phyrexia, there's no sign of Phyrexia on this plane. Uh, Kozilek, we, we have no, there's no Eldrazi on this plane. And yet here we are getting, you know, cards that reference both. Yeah. And I mean, it's got Koth right in the art. I mean, there's not even hesitation to show Mirrodin, playing a Mirrodin character here. So, you know, Aaron Forsyth talked about it on Twitter uh, earlier this week, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but he did comment that they kind of got to a point where they had to decide between, um, you know, what they what they wanted to get away with and what they didn't, and they eventually made the call, like, you know what, we'd rather put these in the set than not. Oh, you know what it was? He was talking about uh, me mechanics keeping cards out of the set versus flavor, and ultimately they, he, they came to the point that a mechanic will keep a card out of a set um, if it's not on theme. Uh, like, they don't want to print only, I think one one scry card or whatever in a set but uh like storyline wise that won't keep it out of a set and it's it's kind of like they're picking up the torch from the past kind of core set methodology where for many years the core set could draw from multiple planes um you know in pursuit of the best possible core set they could pull together 
Um, and, and now, you know, knowing the theme of the set no longer uh, provides you with any defense in your specs. You have to be ready to make a move, um, you know, as soon as things are announced. I mean, I was outing copies of Inquisition and, and Phyrexian Arena pretty much right away. There are people that, that believe that Inquisition status in Modern as a four of will protect it. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't see this card holding $12. I think we're going to see $4, $5 copies at peak supply. Um, and uh, the new art's not great. Uh, the old art's better. Um, that certainly helps a little bit um, on the older versions. But, you know, between the, the reprinting and the modern event deck and this, um, I just don't feel comfortable holding a lot of copies of this. Unfortunately, I'm not. Yeah, there's no... Uh, no doubt that th there's no way this card can keep really double digit price, at least not for the foreseeable future. I do think the foils will be quite pricey relative to non foils because it does give players another way to pick up foils, um, without having to deal with the exorbitantly expensive, uh, rise of the Eldrazi copies. Um, cause remember the reprint did not print any foils, but so I do expect to see a gap there. Um, you know, if we're talking foils, I also see a huge gap coming on burgeoning. Uh, burgeoning is very similar to exploration um, in terms of where it was, in terms of who wants it, and the little uh, there was never a foil. It fits a very, very similar profile. Um, so I think burgeoning is going to crash pretty hard, but the, the foils are probably going to be um, pretty close to what exploration foils have done in the past as well. So I, I like that uh, we can look back at exploration, which came out two years ago, and just look at those price graphs and go, okay, this is a point in time where we should be buying burgeoning copies because um, I expect it to do pretty much the same thing. Yeah, I mean, burgeoning, definitely an interesting EDH card. The foils of this new art are going to look fantastic. I have to believe that it, the attention that the reprinting will put on the card is going to lead more people to start playing it in EDH, as, as will the increased availability. Um, and foils really seem to be the name of the game. Trying to put your finger on which foils have the best long-term potential in this set um, seems to be the kind of bingo we're going to be playing this month. Um, between all of the juicy kind of casual cube and modern reprints, we also have things like the aforementioned Recruiter of the Guard, which is a new kind of Imperial uh, Recruiter variant. We have Keeper of Keys. Um, that's a 4-4 four, for four, 5. When it enters the battlefield, you become the Monarch. Uh, oh, sorry. That's not true. It's not the right card. Let me find it. Uh, we also have Arcane... Savant, uh, which is a 3-3 for 5. Before you shuffle your deck to start the game, you reveal this card from your deck and exile an instant or sorcery card you drafted that isn't in the deck. Uh, and when Arcane Savant enters the battlefield, copy a card you exiled with cards named. So the idea here is that in cube, you're going to pull uh, pull together something like Cruel Ultimatum plus Arcane Savant to do nasty, nasty things. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. the, the art on Queen Marquesa looks amazing. The new Duretti Ingenious Iconoclast um, looks like a very, very sexy card. Um, you were mentioning on Twitter today your love affair with Leovold, Emissary of Trest. Tell me a little bit about that card. I mean, he's just he's so obnoxiously good. I mean, it's, it's almost unfortunate how powerful he is because um, he's going to make you an auto target in when you play this into a typical edh game because you know it'd be one thing if it was only the second line of tax where you got to draw cards if somebody targeted your stuff but the fact that it locks other people's draws out are going to drive them insane so they're going to go after them um but that doesn't mean that people are not going to want to play this card and you'll not only will he make an excellent commander uh he will also slot into many um bug decks out there to begin with so he's he's target rich i would say um, the other point I want to make is 
if you look back at conspiracy, foil DAC Faden is still over $200. So if you find anything here that's showing up in vintage, uh, maybe look for foils of that card because apparently they can cost over $200. Yeah, and worth worth mentioning that the second printing Dak Faden from Eternal Masters this year, those foils are only about 130 to 140. So that which first... is still pretty crazy though, right? Yeah, with a I mean, foil in for... every pack. Yeah, I mean that first edition foil printing um, seems to be pretty important. Uh, it's interesting though that with so many copies in the marketplace, because there's there's at least uh, 100 or 200 foil DACs available online between the, between the two printings. Um, but nobody seems to really be willing to to strive for the bottom. I mean, there's a few copies around 130, then they're pretty much 140 to 150 for a while. And then some people are posting them, you know, over 200. So, um, you know, pe- folks are willing to hold these for a while and, and hope that they the demand meets the supply. Um I mean, we haven't even seen, uh, you know, much of this set so far. I mean, they've certainly revealed some key cards, but uh, I really like where we're going with this. I'm not quite sure where my money is headed yet, but, uh, you know, maybe in a week or two, um, we'll be talking about our picks. Yeah, I I really need time to go back through the old conspiracy and and kind of to understand what's coming and to look through what we have out there, Um, because I do think that uh, we are basically right around the same time frame. For this, as when Modern Masters cards really started to move or were, you know, in terms of comparing timelines, now is a good time to really start looking at conspiracy cards. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of people that now you're kind of hitting a critical mass on voting cards that will really bring up the rear on some of those older ones, like stuff like Coercive Portal. So um, I, I think there's some gold mines in there. It's just going to take a little bit of time to, to suss out what's hiding in there in the original conspiracy. Yeah, so if I had to summarize my early take, I would say that looking at the key reprints, um, Serum Visions and Inquisition of Kozilek as four of modern cards are likely to be the most resilient, um, find a bottom fastest, and rebound down the road. Um, Phyrexian Arena and Burning Wish I don't want to be holding right now. I'll look for a new low later. Burgeoning, I'm mostly uh, looking to get into some foils at a good price, maybe for the long term. Um, the non-foils I'm not too excited about. Mm-hmm. My takeaway here is that this set is packed with a lot of interesting cards for a lot of different groups. Um, and if it's anywhere fun to draft at all, it will be opened a lot. So I'm not looking for cards here to really have a lot of value. Uh, but these are going to cause price spikes elsewhere. And it's figuring out where those are that will get you uh, some profit. It's worth pointing out that these multiplayer tournaments are harder to organize at the LGS level so that no matter how good this is, um, I don't think the stores are going to be committed to running them regularly for a long, for a very long time. It also bumps up against Kaladesh pretty quickly. I mean, we get Kaladesh in the last week of September. So this really only has a month um, once it gets released to, you know, grab hold of people um, and get them excited. So it, it, it could be that in comparison to many other sets, this doesn't see uh, a broad opening, although it's likely to be a deep opening in the sense that, you know, there are still conspiracy boxes available on the open market. And this isn't limited to LGS, right? Like this is going to be at big box stores? Yeah, I believe so. It is an unlimited print run for at least some period of time. So even if it's not at big box stores, uh, which I think it is, there's still plenty to go around. Yeah, so I mean, if that's the case, um, if we can pick these up at Walmart, um, it's going to be tough to see, you know, immediate spikes on all but the most obvious of, you know, legacy or cube relevant foils. Um, But definitely a set you want to be keeping your eye on as we proceed. Yeah, and it's, um, 
I, I, I agree with you. It is, it's much harder to put conspiracy drafts together. It's probably a little bit more of a polarizing set, but it does seem like your group of friends is much more likely to, you know, when they get together on a, whatever random night to draft, uh, to be, to want to do a conspiracy because it, it lends itself so much more. It feels so sort of, uh, I don't know, formulaic to draft like the, you know, Eldritch Moon and Shadows or, or, or Kaladesh. It's like, yeah, we could be drafting that, but conspiracy, like conspiracy is meant for hanging around at home and having a beer and cracking, cracking this. So it's like, maybe we don't see as many boxes opened within the first month, but the amount that you see open in the second and third and fourth month is higher than you would see in other sets. I'm not sure. It's really, it's, I, I'm, it's hard for me to figure that out, but that's kind of like what I'm intuiting. So, also worth pointing out that despite the fact that this set is being printed in English, Japanese, and Chinese, um, this is one of the few times I have no interest in anything but English boxes. Um, my understanding of the casual and kind of group magic scene overseas is that it's not uh, none too exciting. Um, and it's going to be because the market for these boxes down the road is going to be people looking to, you know, revisit uh, the nostalgia of these sets with their friends on a Friday night or something. I definitely want to be holding some English boxes I got in the $70, $80 range when they're like 100 to 120 at some point. Yeah, there's virtually no foreign demand for these. I think I picked up boxes, Japanese boxes of the first conspiracy in Japan for like 55 American dollars or something ludicrous. Wow. All right, so that should be a wrap for this week's folks. Uh, where can people find you online, Travis? Well, I am always available on Twitter, for better or for worse, uh, at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. And my articles appear every Wednesday, unless I get too busy at work, which has happened once now. <laughs> uh, every Wednesday at mtgprice.com. And uh, how about you? You guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, thanks so much for, uh, for joining me this week, James, and uh, I thought it was another great episode. Thank you, Travis, and we'll see everybody next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Thank mm-hmm. you.